This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on 1 Peter called Stand Firm in Grace. It's been a long time because this music stand is extremely dusty. It's been since March that we were gathered here together as the people of God worshiping him. And these last few months have been a good reminder that the church is not about a building and it's not about organization and structures. We're the family of God worshiping him by the spirit through Christ Jesus. But it is good to be back here, even though this looks like a convention of bank robbers sitting in front of me. We are the people of God worshiping him together. Um, And I apologize for any discomfort you might be feeling with your masks and with the AC turned off and getting scanned at the door. If that doesn't feel like the end times, I don't know what does. Um, And so we're just doing these things in order to be safe, to protect all of us, to be good guests in this country um, so that we can continue worshiping God together here. Okay, let's open the Word of God together this afternoon, and we're not going quite yet back into our long-forgotten series on 1 Samuel. I wanted to turn instead this afternoon to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, because as we gather here together, I want to go back to the core of this church and the core of every church, which is Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to read the first 16 verses of this letter, Philippians 3, verses 1 to 16, which in time you may see on the screen behind me. Let's listen to the word of God together. Paul writes, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. For the Apostle Paul, his experience on the Damascus Road when he encountered the risen Jesus was absolutely shattering. Paul was not a man filled with uncertainties and doubts. He didn't have a nagging guilt at the back of his mind. He was not on some kind of quest for a missing happiness. Paul was deeply confident in who he was. He was utterly convinced that he was on the right path, doing what God made him to do. And as Paul looked at his own life, he could only take pride in all of his achievements, his uh, ethnic standing, his religious and moral accomplishments. Paul could compare himself to those around him and feel if anyone can be counted among the righteous people of God, if anyone belongs, if anyone's a good person, surely I belong to those people. And he wasn't just doing the right thing. Paul was filled, filled with incredible zeal to work out the purposes of God in his life. Zeal enough to go and persecute the followers, the heretical followers of the fallen Messiah. Paul had great confidence in himself before God. And then, on the road to Damascus, something utterly unexpected happened. Something Paul was in no way seeking. Something that he was not thirsting or hungering for. Something that happened anyways. The risen Jesus appeared before Paul in blinding light. And Christ, the risen Lord, claimed Paul and claimed his life for himself. And this must have been absolutely devastating to Paul because everything he'd built his life upon crumbled in the presence of Jesus. Paul, in fact, had to leave the country. He spent three years in Arabia recuperating from his conversion, deconstructing and reconstructing what it meant to be a follower of God, what the purpose of his life was, what the meaning of human history was. Paul searched the scriptures that he thought he had known so well with fresh eyes. He bowed in prayer before God. He opened his heart to a new love, the new love of God in Christ. And Paul began to realize the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, Lord. And in comparison to Jesus, everything Paul had lived for, everything he'd built his life upon, he could now only describe with one word, loss. It's all loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And notice when Paul says that in verse 7, it's only loss in comparison with knowing Jesus. 
Until Jesus appeared to Paul, he was not conscious of any loss in his life. It felt like gain. It felt like things that were to his credit, things that he could put deep confidence in. But when Jesus appeared, and only when Jesus appeared, did Paul see all of that in, his true, in its true light. And the radical, invasive entry of Jesus into Paul's life turned everything upside down and inside out. And everything, absolutely everything, had to be reappraised in the light of Jesus. When Paul found Christ, or we should say, when Christ found Paul, then he realized, in comparison with Jesus, all these things that I've built my life upon, all these things that I can take pride in, and give myself a sense of self-worth in comparison to Jesus, these things are not even worth talking about. Paul's experience is an illustration of the parable Jesus tells of a man who's taken a shortcut home from work. He gets off the bus and goes across an abandoned lot, and then he bashes his ankle on something sticking out of the ground, something rusty and metal and hard. And as he scrapes with his fingernails, he realizes there's a box here filled with money, filled with treasure. And in his joy, Jesus says, the man rushes home. He sells all of his possessions, absolutely everything he owns, so that he can buy that land and acquire that treasure. He counted all things as loss in comparison with the treasure that he had found. And Paul does the same when he meets Jesus and realizes how wonderful and powerful and beautiful he is. When he realizes that Jesus is the full revelation of the love and glory of God. Well, everything else in Paul's life sinks down to its true significance. And I think there's a lesson for all of us as we share the gospel that it's not enough just to cut down what people believe and what they're building their lives on. We need to offer them something better. We need to invite them to stand before Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, have their eyes opened to who he really is. And it's the same thing for all of us who follow Jesus and who are tempted, just like Paul, to build our lives on religious performance and what we do for God. It's when we encounter Jesus afresh as the expression of the love and grace and holiness of God that all those things become worthless to us. Not just worthless. Liabilities. Not just a zero, but negative qualities. It's like Paul had been building his life on a broken system of accounting, like so many small business owners do before they can afford a bookkeeper. They try to keep the books themselves, and they do it horribly wrong. And when Paul encountered Jesus, he realized the same thing. All these items he'd been putting in his asset column, in the audit of the light of Jesus, he realized to his dismay that all those things, in fact, were not assets. They were liabilities to be gotten rid of as soon as possible. See, Paul is just like every human being. We all want to stand on our own two feet. I'm not worthless. I'm not a loser. I'm not a zero. 
And we all look back for something that we can get a sense of self-worth from. My life is worth living. I'm a good person. I've achieved things. I've accomplished things. And when I feel bad about myself, when I feel guilty or anxious, I can go back to whatever it is that I construct my life upon to give me a sense of worth. And Paul describes this for himself as a righteousness of his own. His own righteousness. Something that he was constructing independent of the life that is in God. Paul, like all of us, wanted to stand proudly on his own two feet before God. He didn't want the shame of having to open his empty hands and confess that he desperately needed the grace of God in his life. And this Paul describes as living in the flesh, which means living a life of human achievement apart from life in the spirit. And this was Paul's righteousness that he was trying to build. And really for Paul and for all of us, it's a way of keeping God at a safe distance. Look, God, I filled out the forms. I've checked up all the boxes. I've done what I needed to do now. Please leave me alone. And when Jesus appeared, that absolutely broke Paul. And he realized all of his self-confidence was, in fact, an obstacle, a terrible obstacle to truly knowing who God was. And in fact, Paul describes all these things that he had sweated and toiled for years to achieve. He says, all these things are just garbage, just garbage. And the origin of that word refers to things that were worth only to be thrown to the dogs, the most unclean of all animals. I don't know if you've ever cleaned out your fridge, and in the back of the fridge you find a container with, let's say, some chicken in there, but you, you don't remember how recently it was put in there. And so cautiously you open the plastic lid, and you stagger backwards because of the horrible, gut-wrenching stench that meets your nose. You don't hold on to that piece of meat. You don't even put it in the garbage. You wrap it up multiple times in Ziploc bags and you get it out of your house. And this is exactly how Paul now felt about his former self-righteousness. This feeling of building something of my own apart from God, taking pride in myself, is deeply dangerous. It's deeply Dangerous, and we all feel the lure of it, don't we? Perhaps, especially those of us who are trying to serve God in full-time ministry, and we've moved maybe all the way across the world to serve God, and we began by glorying in Jesus, and somehow it's turned into building up our own list, our own private list of accomplishments apart from the life that is in God. And Paul no longer wants to live this independent life, which is no life at all. His ambition now is to gain Christ and to be found in him. To be found in Jesus. And now for Paul, Jesus Christ is his new 
home. The new place where Paul lives. He's let go of himself, old, independent, on his own Paul. And now he wants to be totally identified with the Son of God. Totally identified with the Son of God. Jesus and Paul are now one. They're fused together permanently. And the same thing is true for everyone who believes in Jesus and puts themselves in him by faith. And therefore, because Paul has now been folded into Christ, been brought into this new reality, this new identity, his old righteousness no longer matters because now Paul possesses the only righteousness that matters and the only one that can stand before God, the righteousness of Jesus. And verse 9 describes this as righteousness that is through faith in Christ. And many scholars would argue that this should really be translated, the righteousness through the faithfulness of Christ. What we stand before God with is not our own accomplishments, but the faithful obedience of Jesus, who descends, who goes down, following the will of the Father, and he goes all the way to the cross to suffer and die. And this Jesus is the true Israelite, the true Adam. And because of Jesus' faithful obedience, God publicly vindicates him, and he seats him and enthrones him as king over the entire universe. And now, Paul has let go of his own paltry list of accomplishments. And as it were, he's crawled inside of Christ. And he's become so identified with Jesus that now in Jesus, Paul participates in this righteousness, this standing, this status before God. And as a result, Paul and all of us who share Paul's faith share in Jesus' vindication. We share in Jesus' exaltation, and we're seated with Christ at the right hand of God. Only because we've been brought into this new life in Christ. This is Paul's master story. I want to turn back a chapter to Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there in your Bible if you like. I'll read this to you. This is one of the most vital passages in all of Paul's writings. He writes, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the gospel according to Paul. And it is a V-shaped story. 
It begins with a descent, a humiliation. And Jesus also counts all things as loss. He's letting go of the equality with God that is his right, all the privileges and glory that belong to him as God's only begotten son. And he descends. He goes down, down, down. He takes on himself a human nature, the form of a slave, a servant. He humbles himself to the most shameful death on the cross. And he goes down into the grave. And then... At the lowest point, there is exaltation. And Jesus is risen by the power of God. He's exalted above the heavens and given supreme dominion over the entire universe. And every knee will bow to Jesus. This is the story of the gospel. The crucified Jesus becomes king. And you know what's always irritated me about this passage is those very first words where it begins. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And I would, I've always preferred to kind of cut off that portion of it and just have the pure theology of what Christ did. But for Paul, there's never pure theology. We're always brought into the story ourselves. We're never just participants watching what Jesus is doing. He pulls us by the hand and brings us on stage with him. Have the same mindset, Paul says. We're called to perform the gospel in our own lives. And I say those words carefully. I don't mean that somehow we share in the redemptive work of Jesus. What we do for Jesus has no saving benefit But we're called to share in this dying and rising with Christ. And that's what Christian spirituality is all about. Being pulled into the story of Jesus. And the V-shaped story of Jesus, humiliation and exaltation, becomes the V-shaped story of our own lives. And we become accessories. We're implicated and drawn into God's great drama of humiliation and exaltation. Faith in Jesus is no arm's length relationship. It's not one of those marriages of convenience. Where there is a marriage only for the sake of getting the green card and then the husband or the wife is abandoned after we get what we really want. And we all are tempted to treat Jesus the same way as our heavenly green card to get us into the club, to get us before God, and then we release him and let him go. But this is not what the life that Jesus calls us to involves. It's a sharing in his death and in his resurrection. Let me read again to you chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The Christian life is a life of participatory transformation. In plain English, it's about sharing in the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we actually become 
like him. We're formed into his image. And we're called to follow Jesus, to share with him in his humiliation in death. We crucify, we put to death our old fleshly independent selves and we offer ourselves in self-giving love to the world and obedience to the Father's will just like Jesus. I think Paul would be absolutely horrified by any kind of prosperity theology that offered exaltation without humiliation. There is prosperity and there is glory and there is everlasting life, but it's only through the path of the cross following Jesus as his faithful disciples. And Paul's not about pursuing death for its own sake, doing things for our own detriment, just for the sake of martyring ourselves. It's always for the sake of mission, for the sake of what God is doing in the world to reconcile all things to himself. And we have the awesome privilege, not just of imitating Jesus, but of actually sharing with him in his self-giving death for the world. The seed must fall into the ground and die first, Jesus says. And only then can life happen. And the promise of Jesus is that the grave is not a dead end. The grave is not a dead end. There is a door and there is light shining through that door. It's a door through which Jesus has already passed. And one day when he returns, the door will open and we will rise to join with Jesus in his triumph, in his risen life and in his glory in the presence of God. Now it is very interesting, I think, that Paul does not speak first of the sufferings and death. He speaks first of sharing and knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection. Resurrection first, and then the path of the cross. Isn't that interesting? And I think Paul is trying to say this. The only way we can live this cross-shaped life is through the same power through which Jesus was raised from the dead. You can only live a cross-shaped life in the power of the Holy Spirit. So somehow, and this is the mystery of following Jesus, at one and the same time, we're experiencing life and death. And outwardly, we're wasting away and we're joining with Jesus and with Paul in suffering for the gospel and participating in this sacrificial mission to the world. And somehow at the same time, there's the joy of new life in Jesus working itself out within us. And this is the great hope that Paul is straining and stretching towards. He doesn't consider that he somehow arrived, that he's already attained perfection, that he's reached full and complete maturity. Paul is stretching and straining and leaning forward to the hope of resurrection glory with Jesus. You know, there's a mistaken assumption out there that 
God's grace means that we do nothing. We tilt the seat back, we kick up our legs, and we let Jesus do all the work. And some would teach this is what faith is about, just letting go and letting God and resisting the temptation to strive and put an effort, lest that tempt us into self-righteousness. But that's not what Jesus and Paul and the other New Testament authors teach at all. They teach that the grace of God fills us with life. God's grace fills us with life by the Holy Spirit. And we find something within us that wants to serve God and that wants to follow the purposes of God. Not as a heavy burden in order to somehow achieve God's favor through my effort, but out of this new life that's in Jesus, we want to get up off of our mat and go and walk in service to God. Dallas Willard would often say, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Paul says, in fact, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God working in me. And the resurrection life of Jesus brings a new kind of effort into our lives. That's not slavery, but liberation. Effort soaked in the grace of God. Effort set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Effort that is leaning towards Christ. Paul is stretching forward to lay hold of something. But it's something for which Jesus has already laid hold of Paul. He's already been seized by the risen Lord. And Paul is not stretching forward to some new spiritual goal, some new meaning in his life that he's constructed for himself. He's stretching towards the destiny that has been given to him as a gift by Jesus. Resurrection, conformity to Christ's participation in God's new creation. And Paul is totally absorbed, absorbed in this hope. One thing I do, I stretch towards this goal. This is Paul's story. This is Jesus' story. But is it our story? Is it our story? And we can never assume that just because we're gathering in church that we all know Jesus and the power of his death and resurrection. And if you are here trying in your confusion to assemble something before God, with your disciplines and your duties and everything you're trying to do for God, there is a much better way that God has for you. Not an independent righteousness for yourself, which can never stand before God, but new life in Jesus, which he wants to give you as a gift. This new life for Paul was not the final step on the ladder he was climbing. He realized the whole ladder was rotten and it was right down there in the ground on the very lowest place and all Paul had to do was to bend down and crawl through 
into this new life in Jesus. And that is offered to every single person here as God's gift. Then again, I think there are many here, most of us here, who know Jesus and have received this gift, but we don't really find ourselves driven by this hunger and thirst to know Christ the way Paul was, the way Paul did. We can't honestly say, there's one thing I do. I'm straining and striving towards knowing Jesus more. Maybe there's brief bursts, but then we slouch back into our old, lazy patterns. And if we're honest, we're quite content with where we're at. And we feel like we have achieved everything that we want to achieve in our relationship with God. And here is where we come in our weakness and our emptiness before God. Because we must not interpret this stirring call as a call for spiritual superheroes and for people who can get themselves on fire for God. The message of Christ is always a message for the sinful, for the weak, for the lazy, and the slothful. And we cry out for the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus more deeply and intensely to our hearts. Because we cannot whip ourselves into a greater love for Jesus. We cannot guilt each other into a more intense passion to know him. It's only as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes wider by a miracle of his grace that we begin to truly desire him. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.